Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard, at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. Um, what are we going to talk about today? Today we're going to talk about Gabe Davis as the new Dynasty wide receiver one, I guess. Or, not really. We're going to talk a little Gabe Davis, but mostly we want to talk about this comparison method um, I started to use to try and create comps um, for individual player seasons. Um, we found some interesting comps, and I guess why not we'll throw Gabe Davis in there as well. And also, it's a Dynasty Crossroads, so sometimes I just get to nerd out a little bit. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the process and some, some of my reoccurring thought about how to compare players, because I thought they were interesting. But before that, I just wanted to talk about, um, you know, one thing, um, just because I don't think I mentioned it enough. And uh, yeah, we'll get that out of the way and then we'll uh, get on to the episode. So, in Dynasty League. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and nerds all at once. I am one of those skeptical of status quo. Lazy and to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I grind my Excel sheets Sometimes pour cold water on heat When the math's not adding up You said I'm checking out I'm just working to the ground So just remember to always do that and you'll never lose again in Dynasty. So, uh, yeah, comparison charts, and I guess we'll start out with Gabe Davis, because I made everyone mad. I was, you know, casually uh, making troll tweets on Twitter, I guess, because it's the off-season, so, you know, that, that's what I do, uh, about reaction Twitter. You know, the player just caught a pass. Let's go, go trade for him immediately. Trade all those picks you didn't trade over the last 50 players I told you to trade for, and now trade for this player. Um, so, yeah, I said trade Gabe Davis away in Dynasty after his first touchdown and then he went for like 17 more I think um, and everyone got real mad um, and it's very fun and I enjoyed most of my interactions and uh, I met a few people actually it was, it was a lot of fun but there was a genuine cohort of Gabe Davis truthers and I thought it was interesting because it applies to some things I've talked about and I, 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 I try to utilize in Dynasty as well which is you know, it's not best to be first on a player, especially if you're trading for them or, you know, essentially bleeding value on them. Every time, not always. Um, because there tends to be a lag when a player starts to do something and his value rises. Um, so the trade, buy, sell, window nonsense conversation begins because none of that's... There isn't 
buy now or sell now, there are better or worse potential times you might find a good trade window in one direction or another for a player in your league, but it's all really based on who's in your league and how do they feel and are they even on Twitter and uh, a whole bunch of stuff. So it's all kind of nonsense, but um, it got me thinking about Gabe Davis and that type of deeper prospect or deeper trade target that I've been on for years um, kind of a guy uh, in general. And it got me back to this thought uh, that I used to say and post and uh, I think I wrote an article about it where it's not always best. In fact, sometimes it's worse to be first on a player because you take all the risk if they don't pan out. There's just even if that cost is just um, a roster spot. Frankly, like at the same time, someone DM me and they were like, uh, check this out. Matthew Berry literally boosted him out, basically giving them full green lights. This guy's great. I've got him on every dynasty team. I was like, oh, that explains all the interaction and confidence with which people are completely hating this, uh, uh, this idea of trading Gabe Davis away. Um, because it actually might be a pretty interesting, better window if you're looking to you know, increase value um, by moving him in Dynasty right now because the minute, you know, the, the fantasy football kings literally gives you all green lights to like this player, I think that has the uh, the potential, at least, of having an influence even in most leagues, whether you're playing in a degenerate leagues like I play in who are all on Twitter and paying attention to all of this um, or just, you know, your casual league. Matthew Berry saying something might actually create a window um, to potentially trade him away. And a few people were like, hey, look, I just got a first. Literally just got a first round pick for Gabe Davis. And some other people were like, yeah, but what are you going to trade him for, a third? I was like, there are better windows. And Matthew Berry loving a player can, can do that. I assume it was that kind of stuff. It's not just the four touchdowns. Yeah, the Gabe Davis of the world. Because I'm like, that's those, that's, where I live like that's what I want to fill my roster spot with give me the undrafted free agents and the fourth round picks and these deeper prospects that we like I like to stack them up but the thing is especially when they're players like Gabe Davis where they're at least a third round pick which is I think where a uh, dynasty league ca- trade calculator probably haven't valued around because sleepers suck is essentially the other way I've been saying it sleepers suck they usually don't pan out and you hold the roster set and you get so excited and you talk yourselves into it I, I do this. This isn't just you. This is what we do. This is what being a degenerate dynasty player is all about. But if you're first on that train, you just kind of bleed all of that. And then there's a lag at the point in which they start doing things. And the name that came to mind was Hunter Renfro. Like, Zach Reed pointed out, like, three weeks before he started Top 12 Dynasty Waiver this, this year... Zachary was like, I don't know, Hunter Renfro. And I think he was actually on this podcast or a weekly podcast on YouTube, live stream podcast. I don't know what to call that, but it happens every Wednesday at 9.30. That was almost a plug. Look at that. Yeah, check it out. Um, And he mentioned it weeks before. And at the time, I thought it was a pretty sharp take. But I know there has been a Hunter Renfro hive. I remember arguing with them, not because they're obviously not on hype Twitter or 40 time Twitter, because Hunter Renfro doesn't have that. But it was on something like production in college Twitter uh, or, you know, some Twitter didn't like me and I didn't like his production overall. Full disclosure, I, I didn't think Gabe Davis or Hunter Renfro as good as they have been. Like, I can already admit there have been more fantasy relevant before Hunter Renfro broke out than I thought they were going to be. And it's fun to be wrong because I get to learn from that, but still. But the thing is, when that happened, there was a lag between when they start doing things and their value. Now, the size of the 
truther camp has an effect on this sleeper suck and the lag of value in which people like me who have been wrong let's just say wrong on hunter renfro got this window where zach mentioned it and i was well over my rookie evaluation at this point so i didn't have that bias working against me i was just like that's a good take i had a window where i could have traded for him probably at higher value than he's been over the last two years or so but definitely significantly good value like a second round pick probably would have got him around the time when Zach mentioned it and then even when he did it like even throughout this season the idea of trading for Hunter Renfro and Dynasty was probably a prospect only players who are really competitive so you're down to the top four five teams top three teams if it's a really sharp league and people are already knowing they have to get towards the door where you can actually get him for like really good dynasty value and you're seeing it happen and you haven't had to hold him on the roster you haven't had to go through the pain and anguish of being on and i love being on truth of trains don't get me wrong this isn't a don't get on trains it's just that sleepers suck for so many reasons like they're gonna have to wait now one whole well this they're gonna have to wait a whole player season then the start of the next season and honestly the all likelihood the outlook isn't great even though he's a very impressive nfl player who's definitely outperformed i i think in certain terms of uh, certain games uh, what my expectation of him was I, even after all of that if he starts doing hunter renfro type of things as a wide receiver too and one of the most powerful franchises la la and he's only 22 was brought up a lot it's really young really good point age isn't a talent or a function and it's not a point multiplier you don't get extra points and it's not a talent a player possesses so it's not like it has actual value but it does affect on people's willingness to affect that potentially better and worse trade window in most leagues or perhaps in your league because they can see how this player is going to be viable for multiple years and therefore they apply more value to him that's how age works in dynasty that's what i took away a large part of what i took away from the conversation which is as someone who loves to jump on truther trains and draft those fourth round picks and those armor st browns who sometimes do it rather quickly and there isn't that value lag this is not always the case i think that's important too for the gabe davis hive um, who includes Matthew Berry, so, you know, pretty good company if you're on it. Most, in my experience, or at least a good majority, I know, a stat nerd who hasn't counted it, but still, um, there's a lag time, and certain terms of people's willingness to buy in. And again, that's where the size or the ferocity of that truther camp actually pay attention to. Something Mike... Um, at Daddy's Home on Twitter is a DLF contributor and absolutely awesome, uh, pointed out was especially when thinking about trade windows for your league, whoever is rostering Gabe Davis now, there's, you know, what, a 50% chance the Gabe Davis truther, if he is in your league, is rostering Gabe Davis right now, because he's been at like a third or less value for God knows how long. So that affects everything too, because everything's down to that mini market of what is your league. Again, ultimately his value, especially in the offseason, is going to come down to what your league is, but I would think he's a third slash second round pick for most people just after the playoff performance that honestly could rise his value to a second round pick and in some cases a, th a first i think whatever he's trading for right now when he starts to do things in season someone who comes in late like just a lazy git like myself like with hunter renfro could just kind of walk in with the magazine the guy who brings a magazine to the draft that guy can probably get him for similar if he's valued a second round pick in your league when he actually starts to do things and you don't have to go through all of this and you don't have to take the risk of him not starting to do things next year now again even that boils down to well what's the guy in your league think and i'm very much someone reminded me in that thread that i said sell gabe davis last 
last off season, or he was on my sell list, apparently, which I should look up. I forget who was on my sell list. What all that means, by the way, is the second round pick I proposed trading from was more valuable to you this season than anything Gabe, the, the great game he had happened in the playoffs. So literally, that I think that was a good take. And there still seems to be more juice in the squeeze here because now apparently he's spiraling towards a second round pick again, despite, again, having not much to do with the offense um, during the season. And, you know, there's a chance that hype is big enough or propels enough that in your league he could get even more valuable that at least make him a viable add to a trade to get an even better player. I think it's interesting anyway. I could be off because, again, it's not every play. It's not every time. Sometimes it happens relatively quickly. But I think it's another aspect to how sleepers suck. And I thought it was an interesting aspect of my Gabe Davis troll tweet. Anyway, all right. So what's this comp sheet and what interesting comps did I come up with uh, for things? Okay, so the whole... Well, this, I actually had a tab in my database. I know you're already bored, but stick with it, I swear. Um, set up to create comp lists, just the most comparable players um, in the database already. But I'd given it up because it's, it's something I'd started to build and then got distracted by something else. You know how I do, like a cat, you show a laser pointer to. And so uh, it was half done and I hadn't really figured out what the methodology I wanted to use anyway or how do we even make comps and this is stupid because comps are stupid but it's an interesting exercise right especially or it struck me as an interesting exercise especially when on Twitter the other day it's where I live sorry I mentioned Twitter Twitter a lot this episode I saw some really wild comps for CD Lamb also some really interesting ones and I was like I how would I make a comp what's a fair way of making comparisons anyway I know Rotoviz has some great tools for doing it DLF has some actually great tools for doing that now the bigger that they grow and the more uh, apps and data and little applications Addison Hayes and um, uh, Tan are building over there actually pretty amazing um, I think but how would I do it um, and so this is what I came up with. I didn't want to make a comparison based on the way, the way they look or the way they make their points. And that became the distinction for me. I don't really want to compare how players are making their points in the sense this guy works as a slot receiver or an X receiver. Because I don't... I don't I, I, same reason with tape. I don't think I have anything I can add. Like, I can read and I do people's opinions on that that are far superior than mine i got no reason to compete it's not where i have my fun anyway so how would you do it statistically and so this is what i came up with what's a fair way for for getting good ranges of outcomes based on comparisons for how this player's career might play out and um, or what's the upside what's the downside that's the kind of where i started not how they play but how will they compare in things that predict what I'm actually chasing, which is always points, re-volume. So, I, I actually outlined this all on Twitter as well, obviously, and uh, I just thought it would be an interesting throw in the Dynasty Crossroads as well, because again, I think it's interesting, it's an interesting challenge. How do you make comparisons outside of how they make their points, how they play, whether they're outside players, whether they're contested catch guys, I don't know. All right, so here's what I came up with. Um, first off, um, what I did was create a table that's going to create a list of 10 comps. And ideally, the player themselves should be brought up by this table and place them somewhere around the middle, as close to the middle as I can. And above that, I'm going to have players who compared 
poorly or more poorly to them in the top 10 most comparable players. And you can see their stats and what they went on to do after that point in their career. And that became important. Like, I don't want to compare them to all seasons ever. I wanted to see up to this point in their career, if they'd done similar things that project fantasy points, how well did they compare? And here's the top 10 most comparable. And, uh, and below that, the ones that had, um, again, decreasingly compare well to his stats um, but have continual upside and that they're pulling further away they did better and better up to this point in their career and so ideally he'd be in the middle and you'd see this range of four or five on one side or the other they compare on a scale um, of one to four obviously of how well they compare to that player's stats so what do I use for that was uh use my sophomore model because of everything that I've got that projects fantasy points the following season and if you don't have a sophomore model or don't have my database um well the formula is like posted everywhere or I'll tell it to you if you want to calculate it by the way it's not a very complicated formula because it's me and it's just three things multiplied together and one of them's a nominal it's just a number and then there's stats with a few weighted things that a regression model spat out but anyway um you could use points per game you that would be fine. That actually predicts points per game the following year about as well as any single stat, and that's probably one you have access to. Um, I have this sophomore model which slightly improves the predictability or how much of the variance it explains the following season. So I just thought, just use that. Compare how well players have been going in the sophomore model up to that point in their career. So the first thing I had to do is go back in the database and make that mo that model calculate for everyone who had over a certain touch threshold. Let's not get into it to make it complicated, but I want them to have touched the, the ball a certain number of times a game and have played at least eight games, essentially. But not just wide receivers, which is what I was originally built for, but for running backs and tight ends, and why not quarterbacks as well? But quarterbacks turn out to be impossible to use for the sophomore model, so I can't do them. Oh, well. So I, up to that, and so every season they get a sophomore score, and what I can do is create an average of that sophomore score for every season. Remember, the point on using it is it has good decent predictability explains the variance well of what they did the following year and this is in every career year and I'm applying it to every player in every year so now I can create an average so you can see what Devonte Adams did in the sophomore model by year two by year three because it's just taking the average of his sophomore model score from all the years he's played up to that point that's uh, that yeah you probably hated that but that's what it's filtering players by it's just looking for a list of players who compare well to that sophomore score for whichever player you plug in uh, up to that point in their career so you can look at past examples you can comp calvin johnson to Devonte adams even though his first two years were much before um Devonte adams it's just looking at their average through year one or year two or year four or year five and so i can I can regress it back in history or I can just look at players and what they did this year um, and I wanted that kind of flexibility because people might want to know you know what did DJ Chark look like after year two what were his comps or I might want to look at that and so I've built it in this way that I can look at past examples and what it would have said anyway but that's the way it's set up now once it creates a list of players who score relatively similarly in average sophomore score and um, it just pulls up their literally their ids or you can just think of it as a list of names and now that list of names can be as few as four or it can be as many as 20 it's how many players actually can play pretty well to them and um, in that they scored the same average sophomore score or greater than it and i actually created this little box where 
just in case some players don't fall towards the middle of the chart, they fall towards the top or the bottom. And so I can change that so they're actually only within 2 or 3 or 5 or 10% similarity, just in case there aren't many players that compare well to them, but I still want to create a comps list. I can adjust that so they were scoring even lower than them in the sophomore model instead of the same or greater than. And some of this stuff we can change and maybe we'll find better methodology for it, but that's where I'm at. Now, we're just going to be talking about comps literally of players that, um, you know, have, you know, good examples without modifying the similarity. So they either did the same or greater than them in the sophomore model up to that point in their career. Then what it does is it looks up their basic stats, their target share per game, their rushing share per game, their expected points per game, or, or the main basic eight stats we look at when we're trying to get a sense of how well that player did, which aren't featured in the sophomore model, by the way. So we're looking at different stats. Then it calculates the difference between those stats and the player actually trying to compare and does, you know, a, a fancy calculation that creates a, a comparison score, which tells you how far away they were across these eight states from the player actually trying to comp. And then it ranks them based on that score, essentially. So it creates a top 10 comps based on their stats rather than the sophomore model. The list is created by the sophomore model and the comparison to the actual player is based on, you know, their target share and their A dot and their um, yards per team pass attempt and their expected points per game. So what they actually didn't see is then ideally, because not all players doing similarly in the yards per team pass attempt, this would create a similar player in terms of overall usage or a list where players were playing within a, a close enough range. That was my idea anyway. So the sophomore score creates a list and then how well their stats compare to each other creates a ranking order. Um, and that's it. That's it. That's simple. Uh, th there's a few little technical details you really don't care. I realize scanning through my Twitter thread and looking at the notes. But yeah, that's what it's doing. Um, anyway, I thought it was really interesting because one thing, I, I, it was the stuff I was removing and putting back in. Like originally I had it to filter through their sophomore models, their sophomore model, so ideally how well they're predicting to have high levels of points per game the following year if they play eight games, and just filtering them based on draft round and ADOC, because my thinking was you don't want to comp you know, Adam Thielen to Devontae. You want players that have a reasonable range of expectation when we don't know the future in advance, right? So you want players drafted within a similar draft range. I ended up removing that, and someone in the Discord, it was cash, actually, asked me about, you know, just insert draft capital and it would do this. But I didn't want that, because a lot of times, like, when we're looking at Gabe Davis right now, his draft capital matters as a later-round pick, slightly later-round pick, I think. Not a first-round pick, at least. But at this point into his career, does it, I think, honestly... I see draft capital as a pure path to opportunity in terms of likelihood of breaking out or doing something relevant for fantasy because it, again, like age, it doesn't have any, it's not a skill modifier, it's not a skill he possesses or talent they possess, and it's not a points modifier, so it has relatively little relevance outside of how likely they are to get opportunity, and although it does weight in all the scouting and the industrial complex that weights their skills to give them that draft capital as well. But especially at a certain point in their career, and relatively quickly, I think, we should be more willing to let go of draft capital than we typically are, especially more willing to let go of it than the NFL is. And, and so I just, I took it out. And honestly, I was still pretty happy with the comps that came up. So I'm not adjusting by draft capital. And the idea of adjusting or comparing based on ADOT, while ADOT is one of the stats, I haven't given it specific weight because I don't care. 
Like, again, start with the initial premise. It's not about how they make their points. If Hunter Renfro, and to use a name I just from earlier in the podcast, is creating a similar score, predicting, let's say, 15 points per game the following season from the sophomore model, but, you know, DK Metcalf is also predicting 15 points per game the following season for the um uh from the sophomore model then from my perspective uh, i think remove recognizing i'm not predicting skill or talent or how they make the points because i don't know as much as probably joe anyone off the street about that i just enjoy watching football right this is goes back to i'm not a tape evaluator then what should i care about how they make their points if that sophomore model is you know it actually predicts points per game the following season at a 0.52 rate which is actually really high by the way compared to my stats but anyway and then it's predicting that these two players score similarly the following season and i know i just comped dk metcalf to hunter renfro so i'll give you a second to get over that but the names are irrelevant here if one's a pure volume slot receiver and one is literally the alpha outside i'm going to catch 500 yard touchdown bonds regularly player do i care when i'm making comparisons when the whole idea is i'm trying to make comparisons for how well their careers might play out in terms of fantasy and ultimately outside of again like everyone is actually trying to do pretend they're the smartest in the room that know the future and know more about football than everyone yeah, I, I should care that their roles don't look similar. But from the truth, I don't think I should. It's like physical metrics office. How you're built clearly has a, an effect on how you play and what you can do in the NFL. Because, you know, athleticism matters in athletics. But I, I, I can see that logic, and it's probably true. But I can definitely tell you their stats don't matter in athletics. Because they don't help predict success. They don't help predict points per game. And there's no special combination of those stats that help you make a better decision for fantasy. And it's a similar kind of separation where, yes, they're playing very different roles, but they performed well enough that they project for a similar points per game or a similar sophomore score in the future. It's rated on a points per game scale, but it's not actually predicting points per game just to be clear or kind of just accepting what i am the little fake nerd that i am i shouldn't be waiting by that and there is some role in there like expected points per game is going to adjust by how many 20 or 40 yard bombs you get versus how many two yard passes just past the line of scrimmage but not really and yards per snap is again going to be affected by it in the same way yards per reception was what we used to think was useful before we had a dot an average depth of target and we could see how where they're actually catching the ball so yards per snap is going to have a relationship to a dot but it's not going to be a one-to-one and you're not direct because of yards after the catch essentially it's not exactly the same and efficiency again it's easier to be efficient on a single 40 yard pass than one two yard pass just roll drastically affects or what type of player x y z q whatever they play that's where it would factor in projecting points per game more accurately because you're factoring in roll not once you met once those comparisons come up the fact that they compare well in a comp table statistically their roles don't matter at that point. Anyway, that, that was the main thought I wanted to get out. I hope I made that clear. It's not that the roles don't matter. It's not not that it doesn't matter that DK Metcalf and Hunter Renfro play, you know, basically entirely different positions in the NFL. Let's be real. It's that unless you have a better way of projecting points per game the following year, a better R-squared test, making comps 
after the fact, based on similar roles or draft capital even, I think that factors in there too, would actually be making technically worse comp. Um, want to hear some? Someone like Devontae Adams can still produce bad comps, so the comp sheet isn't a solution to that is something I wanted to put out there. And why not? Well, now look up Gabe Davis because, yeah, that's how we started the podcast. So uh, just so Gabe Davis in his rookie year, 2020 was when he was drafted in the fourth round. And he's actually an upside comp to himself, which is a pattern that I'm seeing um, of players who seem to be outkicking their coverage and don't do particularly well. But I, I'm pretty much learning about this comp table. Michael Floyd and Kimbrell Tompkins is in this list. So you can already notice he's lower down than Devontae Adams was through his rookie season. He got a 10% target share per game. Uh, his sophomore score, or, sophomore score overall was 97 and then ranking it by the similarity to stats, the top 10 comps are like Jamison Crowder, Ace Sanders, Michael Pittman, Corey Davis, were up for me, Rod Streeter, Tyler Boyd, Devontae, Dante Pettis, and above him, so instead of below Devontae Adams, above him is Michael Floyd and Kimbrough Tompkins. And yeah, a rough kind of list, right? But it is interesting, Jamison Crowder shows up and Michael Pittman and Corey Davis, what it's essentially capturing is that on a per attempt basis, over a certain touch threshold, there was some interest in Gabe Davis, and that's why people were interested in him last offseason, why he made my sell list back back at the time. Um, and I can kind of see it. Some Something that was asked in the Discord is, is there any value in valuing the good things that Gabe Davis has done? And of course, again, sell and hold and buy, they're all fictions. There's just better and worse times to get potential value in trade windows if you want to seek it if that's best for your team based on where it is in your dynasty build yeah Gabe Davis could easily do something again that's Devontae Adams <laughs> not that he comes to him entirely even after his rookie season but there were good things there he's done good things in the NFL I'm pretty impressed he stuck to the roster he's earned a role and that game at least shows he's capable of doing things on an NFL field if not consistently in a way that's good for fantasy so yeah Especially after his rookie year, there are some positives there. Now, going up to this year, considering the entire non-playoff season um, and his rookie year, his comps pretty much remain the same. He still remains a top-end comp, with the only players above him being Cecil Shorts and Devontae Moncrief. So, ideally, those would be his high-end comps. No top 24 seasons between them, obviously. And below that, however is Mike Brown, Jacoby Myers, Cameron Meredith, Devontae Adams, interestingly enough, after through two years, Jeremy Butler, uh, no idea, Andrew Hawkins, KJ Osborne, woohoo. So there is more positive, especially since we know how Devontae Adams eventually played out. Up to this point um, in his career, Gabe Davis has scored relatively similar to Devontae Adams. Now, to look up the actual number in the sophomore model, he's scored to this point, to the first two years, uh, like a 9.6 in the sophomore model, and Devontae Adams was at a 9.3. So he's actually done slightly better, which is why Devontae Adams comes up earlier, just in terms of the sophomore model, not in terms of how well he plays or how he's made that point or what kind of skilled receiver he is. Again, remember what it's doing. Um, so there is more positivity there, including with Jacoby Myers being on that list as well, um, who we know is capable and done well. Now, from there, I look at the actual stats to try and get a gauge on where he actually fits in outside of this comparison. Um, and you can follow on. But I just think it's interesting. The hope still shows up on his comparisons list. But ultimately, I think he's going to be more of a sell still to me than a buy, especially if we get around that second up towards the first round value. 
I, I think there are more f- not doing it than doing it potential range of outcomes, especially based on this comp list and just career arcs and what he's done. Yes, I know he's 22 going into year three next year. It's very much a breakout year for wide receivers. I'm just saying, if the value's right, I'm probably more on the side of interesting getting good value. But as I was talking with people in the Discord, there is there's reasons to value what he's done so far. It's not just terrible because there are some reasonable statistical comps that had upside in the end. <laughs> he's definitely not Devontae Adams. And Cameron Meredith as an undrafted free agent got hurt that second year. And that's why his stats kind of came down. But this is on a per attempt basis. Um, and he scored much worse than Gabe Davis up to this point in their career in their second years. I think that's a more interesting comparison as well. And so is Jacoby Myers. Dante Moncrief did show hope, although definitely underperformed a lot of our expectations. But there's hope built into these comps. Just not Stefan Diggs, man. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So the next one I want to look at is uh, one who made me get into fixing or, you know, furthering this project down the road, which was C.D. Lamb. Interestingly enough, I actually have to adjust the similarity to get a pretty decent comparison score for him, and I move it up to anyone who did 4% worse or better than C.D. Lamb. So I expanded the similarity range. I wanted more players that had done worse to him, again, to see the range. Um, And in fact, most players who did as well or better went on to really pretty interesting careers and that's why I adjusted it I wanted to see more dance icons and the players he's most directly comparable to statistically up to this point not in terms of how he makes his points remember Keenan Allen and T.Y. Hilton I think those are two interesting comps once you remove how they're making their points up up to this point in their career his stats in his sophomore model compare most directly to Keenan Allen and T.Y. Hilton both of whom have had more than five top 24 seasons. We know they've had top 12. Keenan Allen literally just had another top 12 season, I think. Um, although they do work drastically different in terms of volume as well as in terms of um, where they play in the field, the stuff we were talking about earlier. Keenan Allen had averaged 22.3% target share per game up to this point in his career in the second year. T.Y. Hilton, 195 C.D. Lamb's actually got a lower target share per game than either at 17.3, but on a per attempt basis through yards for snap and expected points per game and the stuff I said that was in the sophomore model, the score relatively similar in terms of how they should project into the future. Both of those are mega successes, and I really didn't expect him to full-on break out necessarily or Amari Cooper to disappear the way he did earlier in the season, um, uh, as I'm remembering it, and then CeeDee Lamb kind of seceded a little bit, and Amari Cooper came on strong the rest of the season. Mari Cooper is also on this comps list. Again, it's like four tiers removed, so his his um, sophomore model doesn't compare particularly well. It's a whole it's a whole um, point aside. CD Lamb's got a fourteen point projection by the sophomore model up to this point in his career, and Amari Cooper has thirteen point nine. So he actually did fairly worse. What we're noticing with CD Lamb's comparisons, that he's being very efficient on a per attempt basis, which is what you'd expect for an excessively talented wide receiver sharing the field with another excessively talented wide receiver and doing it at a lower volume. I think the comps are ranging drastically um, from what I'm seeing on Twitter, and I think they're overly exaggerated in terms of having a 9.7 ADOT. I mean, even Murray Cooper's got a 10.1 on average to this point in his career. And the volume being overall lower, and we're used to looking at dominator rating and target share, and then being good stats, because overall they are for wide receivers, are very useful. 
But instead, when we look, when I look at something like the sophomore model, and that actually projects what they're going to do going forward a little bit better than those stats by themselves, it overall compares them to players who are getting better volume because of his overall performance on a per game basis. Now, his performance on a per game basis is about 1.3 fantasy points over expected per game, um, which is more than Amari Cooper was doing and about the same as Keenan Allen was doing. doesn't really know what to make of him. He's so efficient on a per-game basis, but his volume is so much significantly lower than Keenan Allen's that it's drawing him closer to a T.Y. Hilton comp, which again shows the, the difficulty people are having in understanding who... Uh, cd lamb is right now and what he might be going forward the one thing you don't find on this list is a lot of bad players i think he's got a top 24 floor for sure and i think most of this list represents a high top 12 upside although i would have liked to see him doing it in his second year to be fair be very clear but we're giving an amari cooper discount personally because amari cooper's still on this team and again had another productive season because all guys don't stop playing especially this year it's not the year to forget that two players can have highly productive seasons amari cooper doesn't have to die or retire or get traded literally for cd lamb to be a top 12 breakout next year and the most common year for breakout into the top 12 for wide receivers is that third year i really was talking for spoken not talking uh, for a really long time and a lot of it was talking about nerd type stuff so i'm not sure you're stuck around to the end and uh i i, I don't have the energy left to spit on those stats I, I i could spit more on this comp table yeah i i think those are fair comps and they present an interesting story for what cd lamb might be going forward to be real clear He's on my elite tier buy list. I think especially he's on there because he doesn't cost what Justin Jefferson, or he shouldn't cost what Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase did. But I think he could very easily fit in that category. I think the upside is currently underrated based on the floor that we saw, especially to end the season this year. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very much still on uh, Team C.D. Lamb. I don't see many outcomes where he's not a productive wide receiver going forward. Weird hybrid of Keenan Allen and T.Y. Hilton. Like, come on, man. That's, that's fun, I think. Anyway, let me know what you think. You can see the thread on Twitter where I've actually got the tables posted and stuff. If you have any more questions, you can DM me anytime. Uh, contact me any other ways we contact each other these days i'm pretty much there at pa howdy um anyway i hope you found some of this fun and interesting uh i actually really enjoyed this process as you can imagine i do enjoy building things in the data set that get to completely ignore things that happen on tape i guess that's my speed um and if not yeah let me know that too and i'll do less nerdy stuff on the podcast anyway uh really appreciate it I'm going to talk to you again next week because I'm really winding down. Have to go get some sleep before doing it all over again tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, sorry about forgetting to record last week. I don't know what happened there. Um, appreciate you all. Uh, and talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Gross.
Picking their brains, got their in lanes, but I like that Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that eye, eye like mortar Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical